0: Like a locomotive, sipping, drinking Arizona. Mixtape just around the corner. did a lot in California. Can't wait to drop this don't you. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smess like song them my songs gon' break through
1: like Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It is all up to speed with Formula One. It is Wednesday, September 27th, 2023. Mark Daly is here tonight, joined by the the somewhat snazzy and sharply dressed Mr. Mark Hamilton. Dude, did you just come back from a photo shoot or something? I mean, the hair is all nicely done. You know, it's like you're looking good,
0: my friend. What's the occasion? So little do people know, but I have done a little bit of stock photography modeling in the past. Uh, by total earnings... Career to date is a dollar sixty five because of course <laughs> you earn commissions based on the usage of your photos. So I haven't been a very effective stock model photographer, stock model photographer, stock photography model. But uh, we were downtown today at the office, jamming, getting some work done. It was a long day. It was a great day. I feel really good, and I'm super excited to be here to talk to you about Taylor Swift and. You thought I was going to be super negative about celebrities and the NFL ecosystem. Dude, I just I yeah. find that celebrities in the NBA and celebrities in the NFL they 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 coexist so effectively unlike Formula 1. But you, you're an NFL fan. How much how much impact or how much ripple has this caused in the world of the NFL? Because if you don't know, uh, earlier this week at a Kansas, keep me honest, Kansas City Chiefs, that's the team.
1: Yes. Yep. 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 That's right. You got it. Kansas City Chiefs. So, yep. Taylor yeah, Swift yeah. So was there at Kansas the game on City Sunday Chiefs. at Arrowhead Because the rumor is, yeah, that she's stating superstar Travis Kelsey. And so, here we go. There's, there's, you know, the rumors have to be true because taylor swift was there in a luxury box all dat you know dressed up in chief's gear and things like that so you know the old saying where there's smoke there's fire so there's something obviously there and then i tweeted something about oh you know enough with the celebrities i don't i'm here to watch the game kind of get it back to the game first uh i, I get a, a tweet back from our good friend joe santucci he said we'll watch it before the swifties pile on it get uh, get all I, I didn't realize that you know i didn't want to fall foul of the swifties but this funny uh yeah, I I just I don't really care for the whole celebrity thing. I know it's kind of like some people think it's kind of cool. I'm just like just show me the sports. <laughs>
0: and, and I, don't, I don't want the sports. I want to yeah. see what the athletes are wearing. I want to see what they're driving. I want to yeah. hear what they think about the presidential election. Like I'm all in on everything but the sport. <laughs> By the way, my buddy, um, I don't know if you know this, but ChatGPT has evolved pretty significantly this week. I oh, uh, can okay. now talk to you. It can now listen to you. You can feed it photos and it'll dissect photos. But it's also allegedly up to date on the latest news. And my buddy sent me a screenshot. He went to ChatGPT. GPT said, "Who is Taylor Swift's most recent love interest?" To which ChatGPT responded, "As of my last update, Taylor Swift's love life and relationship are private matters, and it's essential to respect her privacy." ChatGPT then goes on to share all the details of all of her past relationships. So, ChatGPT,
1: there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, I, I wonder, uh, one of these days, do you ever feel like we could be replaced by Chat? gpt or some other ai or something like come back and then we'll be replaced yes, we'll log into yes, the studio yes. and there'll be like virtual ai versions of the ourselves locks, doing the, locks the show will be
0: changed no the <laughs> locks will just be changed on our studios
1: yeah it's crazy isn't it all right well let's uh jump into it so you kind of like jumped ahead in the show schedule so first of all just to show a little bit of love to magnus and the crew over to the head on over to the race weekend that's r-a-c-e-w-k-n-d.com enter in our promo Code ScooteriaPod at checkout receive ten percent off a. Uh, I was gonna say commission a subscription, and then also check checkout we get the commission. We get they the commission. Get the subscription. Yes, we yes, get the commission. Exactly, and whoever gets the subscription gets an amazing coffee table style. It's just an amazing publication i love magnus and the, the work that they do also check out racingexclusives.com they have uh generously provided us the one half scale autograph max for Stappen helmet that we will give away to the winner of our f1 fantasy league which is gonna come up pretty soon i mean we are literally in the stretchiest part of the stretch run Wait, how many races do we have left now six it seems like six. we went from like like nine down to like, too yeah. many too many yeah, we're kind of there, aren't we? <laughs> Anyways, go ahead on over to com to find uh, unique uh, Formula One uh, merchandise, uh, all of uh, which comes with a certificate of authenticity. Las Vegas watch party, Mark. What's Give us the deets on what's happening with the watch party. 53
0: days away, you will have the opportunity, if you live in the greater Vancouver area or are willing to trek in to jam with Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton from 10 p.m. (laughs) until midnight, watching live a very chilly, because it's going to be cold. Remember, this is November... The desert of Nevada, it's gonna be a little bit chilly. I don't know how they're gonna keep those tires warm, but we're gonna watch the first ever Las Vegas Grand Prix live from my house and it will be fully catered. So if you like delicious foods and things like that, um, Mark Daly and I will be going to Costco earlier that day to load up. So <laughs> that's coming, that's coming super fast. I think fifty, I think fifty-three days, my
1: friend. It's you know, it's crazy, right? A little bit off topic here, but I can't believe we're almost into the month of October. I feel that it just like as soon as we hit Labor Day, it's just like everything just accelerated. Like crazy. I can't, I can't believe it. It's absolutely nuts. Okay. Uh, do you have the fantasy standings teed up, my friends?
0: Yeah, I. Do, but I'm gonna talk very slowly as the page loads. Um obviously so while you do that, I will I will rescue you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got it. I've got, okay. it, I've got it, I've got it, I got it. No rest, <laughs> no rescuing necessary, but I appreciate the effort. And you can probably hear me frantically clicking in the background. But there's been big changes, and if you listened on Sunday, you probably already know that. But if you didn't tune in, and to be honest, I don't know why anyone would be tuning in for the post-race recaps at this point. I just please tune in. We need the sponsorship money and we need to- <laughs> <laughs> um, sitting in number one, Michael Kranji 16, number two, Matt Noob Team 3, followed by Vince Des 2, Matt Noob Team 3, Relamago, Relam Pago, Marquinhos, and then Bengals Bubs, Crash Team Racing 1, Gotifi Team, The Bad Guys, Bye Bye, Axis Mon, Yellow Racing, Aaron Kirilenen, uh, sorry. Aaron, I've ruined your name. Uh, Lion F1, FPL Rosaneri Team 1, and then also last place. But the big the big takeaway here right now is we still have six races left, like you said, and there are only 58 points separating the first and second place team. And even mm. Vince Des, you know what? Vince Des slipped from, three, from one to three, but he's only... 61 points behind. And of course, if you need any incentive to continue to focus on your fantasy team, the grand prize is again a signed Max Verstappen one half scale championship helmet with a certificate of authenticity.
1: I got a feeling that Vince is going to make some moves. The man, the myth, the legend, which is kind of cool how we got to know who Vince actually is, you know, the radio host in uh, in, in the wonderful, beautiful city of Montreal, which I'm so overdue to go and visit because I love Montreal so much. But uh, maybe I'll wait till after the winter. I was there in the summer. It was gorgeous and I'm reminiscing. And of course, I got to do a couple laps around Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in uh, my brother-in-law's uh, BMW, which was fun. And, you know, fun fact, actually not so fun fact, but they have a speed limit around Circuit Gilles Villeneuve of 30 kilometers an hour, which you know isn't uh, very exciting. But you get passed by people on rollerblades and bikes, and people walking babies and strollers. But still, it's an experience, and it's kind of cool. You can actually just roll right on in, uh, in your ride and do a lap around Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Okay, drivers' championship: Max Verstappen 400 points, even Sergio Perez 223, Lewis Hamilton 190. Closing in on Sergio Perez, Fernando Alonso. I was almost going to say Fernando Hamilton, and what what a bad mashup that would have been. You know. two thousand and eight Fernando and two thousand eight Lewis Hamilton would not approve, and maybe their contemporary selves don't approve either. Anyways, Fernando. 4th with 174 points, Carlos Sainz rounds out the top 5 with 150, then we have Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, George Ruskell, Oscar Piastri, and Lance Stroll rounding out the top 10. Over on the Constructors' side, it was uh, clinched uh, this past weekend by Red Bull at the Japanese Grand Prix. They have 623 points, Mercedes 305, Ferrari 285, Aston Martin 221, McLaren 172. Expect that there will be changes in those other positions in the uh, the constructors i know it's all for second and best of the rest and all that but it's still it's something to kind of keep an eye on. I'm trying to pump up second place. You know, what what did Senna, what was Senna's uh, uh, quote so that second is the first of the losers. So you know as a, you should still watch. Please watch the rest of the season. Please continue to listen to our podcast. And uh we, we gotta we gotta change the subject here, Mark, before you know we completely lose it. Uh, anyways, somebody that isn't losing is Oscar Piastri. He joins a long, long list of fellow Australians that have been podium winners, podium places in formula that includes includes jack bregman Schenken, alan jones weber ricardo piastri himself so i mean there's some very very impressive names uh, on that list so uh piastri the what the sixth australian to uh, win a podium place at a podium in a formula one uh, race so that's awesome uh it was good to see and wow has he really shot up in uh, people's like on, on the radar pretty quick, uh, especially since they got those uh, upgrades in Australia. Sorry, in Austria. Um, so the time, this this is a funny one. I love how you dug this one up. So we had this weird situation at the, uh, the Japanese Grand Prix last week when uh, Sergio Perez retired from the race on like what lap 18 or something like that. After basically playing Mario Kart or bumper cars and everything, piled up a whole bunch of penalties, so they retired the car in lap 15, lap 18, whatever it was, then they put him back out on the track so he didn't have to carry that uh, that penalty forward to uh, the Qatar Grand Prix, which is coming up here next weekend, he would have had a grid penalty there, so instead of saying that he'd retired and unretired they just counted it as officially a 41 minute pit stop which you know red bull are always one of the fastest uh, when it comes to pit stops in formula 1 so that's uh, you know obviously there's just an asterisk beside that because they're usually like two seconds, sub two seconds is Red Bull, right? So It's yep, kind of Imagine kind of if funny. you had
0: to average out all of your pit stops for the season and your like yeah. two and a half, three second average pit stop would climb to like, I don't know, 22 minutes obscene. Just on yeah. that note as well, and I didn't manage to stick this in the story or in the outline because quite frankly, I forgot. But uh, according to Crash.net, the FIA is not rushing to close the loophole Red Bull exposed with Sergio Perez at the F1 Japan. Japanese Grand Prix, um, And initially, this conversation was kind of sparked because Ted Kravitz, of course, Sky's F1 pit lane reporter, uh, had himself reported that the FIA were keen to address the loophole in time for the next race in Doha. According to Ted Kravitz, mm-hmm. he was a DNF and then he was not. Then he was a DNF again, (laughs) um, and he goes on to kind of quote that uh, he's got some inside sources that uh, are very confident that this is going to be addressed quickly. Of course, there's been some conflicting reports since then, and I think as much slander as Red Bull got for this conduct of effectively retiring a car, realizing they were going to have to serve a penalty in Doha and sticking him out again, I mean – ultimately they didn't breach any rules and we talk so much about how F1 teams have to push the boundaries of the rules and regulations to be successful I have no issue with this I mean if this is an issue in the rules close the loophole change the rules Mm -hmm. like I think they may have just exposed something pretty unique and maybe other teams wouldn't have thought of this or wouldn't have wanted to do it because of the bad publicity Mm -hmm. but I don't really blame them for doing it right like it's ultra competitive and they want to put him in the best possible place to bounce back next week and start the race in Doha with a five-second penalty is a pretty bad way to pick up after a horror show of a Japanese Grand Prix for Sergio Perez.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know where this kind of rates in, like, the, the longest pit stops in Formula One history, but if I was uh, Sergio and that goes down the record books as, like, the, the the longest pit stop in Formula One history, I flex on that record Every day of the week, you know, (laughs) it's just like one of those crazy stupid stats, right? No one
0: is ever going to break. Obviously, we all remember Valtteri Bottas in in Monaco in 2021, I guess it was 2021, when the pneumatic gun um, basically burned off the teeth on the hub of the wheel. Do you remember this? And they couldn't get the wheel off and they basically had to send the car back to the UK, basically still assembled because they couldn't get that one corner off. That is maybe the longest pit stop of all time.
1: Yeah, yeah that, that that's a that's a fair call because you know when, when they when they pack up from a Grand Prix they literally disassemble these cars like giant Lego kits and put them back into boxes and things like that and ship them back to the factory or to the next race and stuff like that. But that was the weirdest situation ever. I mean, here you have Bottas going in to change you know the the, the tires. He goes in for a scheduled pit stop. You see like little shards of aluminum yeah, flying smoke, all over the place. Just smoke yeah.
0: puff, like the teeth just puff. They were gone. Yeah. And it, it was so, like, in hindsight, you didn't realize that is what had happened. And then they were still, like, jabbing the pneumatic gun onto, onto the hub, trying to get the wheel off. Guys, there's nothing there for it to bite onto. Like, that mechanic must have felt, and again, you know, he was criticized at the time. He missed his marks, blah, blah, blah. But your mechanics adjust. But, yeah, that was, that was a freak accident, man. Like, yeah. I've never seen that happen before.
1: Yeah, that that was a weird one. <laughs> so, so maybe that's uh, th- that's one of those uh, sort of like uh, sort of a uh, points of honor, badges of honor that uh, they go and uh, joke about when they sit down and have a beer together. So, uh, next one here. So, with Oscar's podium last week in Japan, that now means half of the drivers on the grid this year have scored a podium, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Pretty good, cons- man. Pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah, I agree because you know everybody's been focusing on Red Bull and Verstappen dominance, which obviously has made uh, a, a lot of uh, headlines and and rightfully so. And well, depending on your point of view, but quietly, you have the rest of the drive. You know, the you know, other nine drivers, you know, po- you are know, getting podium finishes there. I think that's uh, extraordinary. Now, so this year uh, has. A very quiet, silly season. For those of you who don't know what silly season is, that's the time of year when drivers tend to move around. It's the driver market. And some years are busier than others with the contracts that expire, as if there's actually any like weight to a Formula One contract. I mean, they're all written on the back of McDonald's napkins and things like that, which we always joke about. And then they get locked up in some safety deposit box in Geneva or somewhere like that. They never see the light of day. It's not like you know, somebody signs a new contract in the NBA or Major League Baseball. Ball is like ten years, five hundred million dollars, whatever Enstrined it is, enshrined by a collective yeah.
0: bargaining agreement too, right? Exactly, like enshrined by a CBA. Yeah.
1: But it's interesting. We we don't need to go down the whole Formula One contract rabbit hole again. But what is really interesting should they actually have any sort of like weight behind them whatsoever? There are a lot of drivers that are coming up uh, to the end of their uh, their deals. They'll end at uh, the end of twenty twenty four. That includes Alex Albon, Nico Hülkenberg, Kevin Magnussen, Yuki Tsunoda, Danny Ricardo, Lance Stroll, Fernando Alonso, Joe Guan Yu, Valtteri Bottas, Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, and Sergio Perez. So basically everyone. <laughs> the old, the only drivers that have like multi-year deals in place is Oscar Piastri confirmed uh, at uh, McLaren till to the end of 26. Then you have Lando Norris confirmed at uh, McLaren to the end of 25. George Russell and Lewis Hamilton who just announced uh, new contract extensions uh, just was about a month or six weeks ago. They're going to be at uh, Mercedes until the end of 2025. And they have Max Verstappen who signed like literally a 100 year. Extension. He's going to be well, not a hundred years. He's uh, confirmed to be at Red Bull until the end of twenty twenty eight, and then you have Logan Sargent, who's basically living on borrowed time. He is out of the contract at the end of this uh, season, so that's that's going to be very very interesting. We could see some big moves in uh, you know coming up, new deals being announced uh, next year. I mean, both the Ferrari drivers, Sergio Perez. I mean, there's three very very desirable seats right there. Both the Aston Martin seats uh, coming up. So who knows? Should be kind of fun to uh, to watch. So another fun stat uh, that you dug up here, Mark. I like this one, too. Well, Lando doesn't like this one. So Lando Norris now has the most World Driver Championship points without a win. Lando has 530, sorry, 543 points on 98 starts in his F1 career. Nico Hulkenberg has 530 points on 197. Did I say 543 for, for Lando? I hope I did. Five thirty for for Nico Hulkenberg out of from one hundred ninety seven. Roman Grosjean one hundred seventy nine starts 391 points. Nick Heidfeld. 183 starts, 259 points. Lance Stroll, 137 starts. That's crazy. I, I can't believe Lance has been well. I mean, first year was what? 2017? 2017. 2017. That, uh, <laughs> that went pretty quick. Alex Albon is in the list too. He's out from 75 starts. He's got 222 points. I think that's you know quite a remarkable stat for Alex Albon because he hasn't always had the the the, the best car He Obviously, would have picked up a lot of points in that. What did he get? Like like half the back end of one season and the front half of another season before Helmut Marko and Christian Horner decided he wasn't worthy enough to drive a Red Bull anymore and then booted him out the door for Pierre Gasly and he was... Booted out, or no? He came after getting No, he replaced Gasly. Didn't I? I yeah, can't yeah, yeah. keep this straight as, anymore. As a
0: point of reference, I, I pulled this up real quick because I thought it would be interesting to share. But you're right. The front half of 2019, he was with Toro Rosso, and he replaced Gasly. In the second half, he finished 2019 on 92 points. He competed in the entire shortened 2020 season. Remember, it was just that 17 race season. He scored 105 points. Uh, sat out 2021. He scored four points last year and 21 points. So yeah, he scored. I guess. 197 points in, in his two years with Red Bull slash Toro Rosso. Very, very cool all right so why don't
1: we um take a quick hey, break hey, here mark hey We're hey gonna, hey oh, hey you got something that, else all right i do
0: i do before we go to break um just and i interject i'm such a jerk hey 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 we should probably plan this <laughs> a little bit better but i have an interesting I, I found something interesting on reddit that i just have to share um and it kind of ties in perfectly to that comment about lance stroll 241 points and 137 starts he's been in f1 since 2017 so somebody sent this screenshot on reddit and i apologize i don't have the credit for the individual but they asked chat gpt and Mark's rolling his eyes at this point. It's like, damn it, Hamilton. Like, ChatGPT can't be the source of all of our material. But they asked ChatGPT, I'm in a TV show and I need to convince the host that Lance Stroll is the best F1 driver ever. Which arguments or stats should I use? Uh, To which ChatGPT responds, if you find yourself in a situation where you need to make an argument for Lance Stroll being the best F1 driver ever, you can use the following points to support your argument. And it's So here are the points. Youth and potential. Lance made his F1 debut at very young age, which demonstrates his incredible potential for the future. He had the opportunity to learn and grow in the sport, potentially surpassing the achievements of older drivers. False. I mean, he did start when he was young. Podium finishes. Highlight his podium finishes, of which he has three. While he might not have as many wins as some other drivers, he has none. His ability to secure podium finishes demonstrates his skill and consistency. While I think three podiums in 137 starts is pretty poor. Adaptability. <laughs> Discuss his ability to adapt to different teams and cars. Stroll has driven for multiple teams in his career. Wrong. He's driven for two teams. Strong qualifying performance. emphasize his strong qualifying performance. Stroll has shown the ability to qualify well, which is crucial in F1. Investment in young talent. Mention his role in promoting young talent in F1. Stroll's presence in the sport could be seen as a positive for younger drivers looking to break into the field. Again, it's helpful if you have a billionaire father. Uh, Personal growth, highlight any personal growth and improvement over the years. Discuss how he has developed as a driver since his debut. I think his development is really flatlined. Team loyalty. Talk about his loyalty to his teams and his commitment to their success. This one is hilarious because, of course, he and his father bailed on Williams after 2018 when they realized that the lack of upward trajectory and his dad then bought a team that his son is now allegedly quote-unquote committed to. And then finally, and I love this one and you'll love this one daily, the eighth and final reason that uh, Lance Stroll is apparently the greatest driver of all time, according to ChatGPT. Canadian representation: if the TV show is based in Canada or has a Canadian audience, you can emphasize his role in representing Canada in Formula One, which can be a source of national pride. Which <laughs> is absolutely <laughs> true.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! You know that that is hilarious. But you know, I, I just I just want to point this out, Mark. You, you're getting all this stuff from ChatGPT for the show tonight. I just got a message from wikipedia and reddit they're both very upset that they might be, <laughs> <laughs> be
0: they've been replaced <laughs> be <falling.
1: laughs> they've been the, replaced the source of knowledge <laughs> for the show has
0: been replaced by the way you know, it, so I, to, let's be honest like chat gpt <laughs> <laughs> is just scraping both of those so that's where all of its intel comes from anyways
1: well at least you know maybe we can still turn to reddit or still turn to reddit wikipedia for you know quote-unquote facts we can go to chat gpt for, for for humor so <laughs> maybe that's where that it's places so anyways now let's take a quick break we'll come back on the flip side and we got some breaking news to talk about so we'll do that in just a moment we'll be right back passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. all right here we go back again into the uh the, the news now mark because we've got some interesting things to talk about this week and sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion yeah has anybody forgot about seb i don't think so so, what's happening with Sebastian Vettel? Well,
0: if you haven't noticed, and I think most of our audience has, uh, it seems like he's sniffing around the F1 paddock a little bit, and and he's obviously been very present at a couple of races this season. It, Including In Japan, of course, the Japanese Grand Prix Suzaka is obviously one of his favorite circuits, and he was there with his B initiative and things like that. But it is interesting that for a driver who retired, um, his presence in F1 doesn't seem to have diminished in a meaningful way. And there's been a tremendous amount of speculation over the last couple of weeks and months that maybe he's looking for an opportunity to return to the grid. In fact, in an interview with British media recently, he was specifically asked that question, and he didn't deny the potential interest or desire to return to F1. But a couple of days ago, over at motorsport.com, Gary Watkins is reporting that Vettel is now in talks with Jota Porsche team about a 2024 WEC drive. So even if it's not F1, um, it sounds like Sebastian Vettel is very much motivated to get back into competitive motorsports and maybe potentially that leads to an opportunity to rejoin the formula 1 grid at some point you know it must be really tough for Vettel that he spent 2 years with with Aston Martin and, and I, I could argue that he seemed somewhat uninspired, at least outwardly. And I can't challenge how hard he was working because I don't really know, but it must've been pretty tough for him to walk away and then see Alonso with the weapon that he had through the first half of this season. But it's also important to remember as well that Sebastian Vettel is himself still relatively young he was born july 3rd 1987 making him just again wikipedia baby just making him 36 years old and if he was to rejoin the formula one grid he certainly wouldn't be the oldest driver by by any margin and maybe there's an opportunity for him in the future i guess it just depends right that if he's open to committing to the wec why would he not be committed to like joining Formula One team. So I I think it's interesting. I just think it's interesting. They spend a lot of time around the Formula One grid. And of course, let me be clear, like committing to a WC driver is not like committing to a 22 race Formula One championship. They're two very different things. But obviously that that fire to compete at the highest level of motorsports is still there.
1: Yeah, no, that's very cool. Like uh, it was kind it was neat too to see him last uh, last week at uh, the Japanese Grand Prix, kind of poking around. I've always liked Sebastian Vettel. He seems like a a pretty uh, chill kind of person. Was a great racing driver, obviously four world championships, but. You know, there there's two very distinct phases to his career, and I guess you can make a you know have that discussion at some point. Like, where did the the career start to sort of tail off a bit? Because I mean, he had some some he started out pretty good at Ferrari, but you know they've been in slow kind of like. Well, I don't want to say decline. They've been in the doldrums for for quite a number of years now. I mean, you can you just even ask Charles Leclerc, who's been uh, there for for quite a while. Well, but Daily. as well, but
0: yeah. I, let's let's have that conversation a little, a little bit because I think over here in North America, legacy is really important in individual and in like in team sports. Like you want to you want to build a legacy. And you want to collect championships and MVPs and and. All NBA titles and All Star appearances, a Pro Bowl appearance, and all those. well, Nobody actually appears in the Pro Bowl, but you want to you want to be recognized with a Pro Bowl um, placement. But I, I just it looks I, good I, on the resume. Yeah, totally, it does. It looks really good on the Wikipedia page. And Sebastian Vettel, you're right. Like it's it's interesting because I don't know how. I don't know how to to gauge his legacy. Like, obviously, four times world champion um, is exceptional. He came third place in the championship in 2015 in his first year with Ferrari in 2017 and 2018. He finished second in both of those years, a fairly distant second to the championship winner, um, Lewis Hamilton, but also uh, ahead of Mercedes' other driver, Valtteri Bottas, And what could... be argued was a, a superior car and then things kind of started falling apart in 2019 with the cheating scandal and his constant clashes with charles Leclerc. And then it was pretty clear that S- ferrari had moved on and then he made that transition to aston martin and that car was a bit mid like i just i don't know how to to define his career because i think some drivers are just consistently great and he was exceptional and then he was very good and then it just kind of tailored off at the end and a big part of that might be the car and the team that he was he was competing in but i I don't know how to frame his career like obviously four times world champion one of the greatest of all time but i just think it could have been more maybe
1: yeah but it's kind of like where does he go at that time like uh, after he comes off the back of those four chips at red bull who do we have? We've got Fernando Alonso is the guy at Ferrari. You have the duo of Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg at uh, at Mercedes. So then Fernando, you know, he you know he decides to break that relationship and and for, with Ferrari move away. So uh, Sebastian ends up going there, and you know it, it was tough, right? Because that was only going to be the only other really competitive. Seat that was out there because you go into the turbo hybrid era, and it's pretty obvious that Mercedes are miles ahead, literally of everybody else. Red Bull is kind of third in that pack, so Ferrari is really the only option he has to go with a you know quote unquote championship contending team, and and it's it's pretty obvious right away that they're a step or so behind uh, Mercedes in that game as well. But you know, in that time that he was with Ferrari, still managed to win a lot of races figuratively speaking I mean he was basically the only person besides Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton that was winning at that time and then even afterwards once Rosberg retired at the end of 2016 and Bottas comes on board and you know he's still able to to win some you know here and there but it kind of like really sort of tapered out towards the end right and that it's you know for for somebody that was you know winning world championships and 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 lots of races afterwards, even with Ferrari, it just it kind of feels, I don't know, to me, it's like the candle when you blow the a candle, it still kind of like smokes and smolders a little bit. It goes on and all of a sudden it's like gone, right? And you just kind of tell. And I think that's just with him, it's just like he was so lucky to be in that Red Bull uh, organization at the right time and and be as good as he was because he was just kind of went from toro rosso into red bull wins the four championships and then those opportunities to to really land with the uh, well i mean it was either going to be with the mercedes or nobody because nobody else was going to beat mercedes you know from starting from from 2014 so I, I think the car has a lot to do with it and when it came well i guess that's a bit of a side discussion it's just like nobody was going to dislodge rossberg and hamilton from mercedes but you know, maybe themselves. <laughs> and that's a bit of a, a different discussion because that was like pretty horrible. But he never really had that opportunity to get in that you know bona fide championship caliber car that he had at Red Bull
0: anywhere else. Daley, you make a really good point about you know, I, I think sometimes in Formula One it's it's about circumstance and timing, right? That you know what, if if you're a world-class athlete in the NBA or the NFL, your team has the opportunity, the front office has the opportunity to build the team around you. And in F1, sometimes it's just, Fortune That he just happened to be part of an academy whose senior team was on the precipice of rolling out a series of phenomenal Red Bull cars, right? And so on the one hand, the timing with Red Bull was perfect, but then he goes to Ferrari, but he goes to Ferrari at exactly the worst possible time because he's walking to Marinello at exactly the same time that Brackley and Bricksworth are unleashing a succession of Mercedes AMG monsters on the world. And I just, I wanted to share because I'd forgotten this, but obviously 2014 Mercedes destroyed the championship. But 2015, when they were possibly equally as good, you know, Lewis wins the title. I think he wins the title with three races left. I think he won in Austin. Um, He finished on 381 points. His teammate Nico Rosberg finished on 322 points. Sebastian Vettel that season finished on 278 points. Like, he was only 44 points behind a Mercedes driver that year. And uh, the Mercedes driver, who, by the way, was go on to win the 2016 championship, 2016 was kind of a fallback year because uh daniel ricardo snuck into third place but then in 2017 to 2018 he was second in the championship so really when you look at his time with ferrari he was deprived of the possibility of winning a championship just because that mercedes was so good and i don't think in hindsight or even in the moment anyone should have realistically expected that car to win a title so considering that, like, yeah, he's got a couple of chapters. There's that Red Bull chapter, which was utter dominance, and he's got that 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 Ferrari chapter, which was really strong to start, but they were just up against it with Mercedes, and then the Ferrari thing kind of falls apart. And then he goes to Aston Martin and you're right. Like where else is he going to go in 21? Like Red Bull had an open seat, but ultimately they committed that to Sergio Perez. And was it the right thing to bring back your former alpha driver at the tail end of his career? When you have Nico Rosberg on the cusp of greatness, like that probably didn't make sense. So to your point, like if he wanted to continue driving in 2021 and he wanted to get paid because I'm sure Lawrence Stroll paid him well, like where else was he going to go?
1: Yeah, that's just it. So it's it's a very interesting discussion. I think that, you know, to decide what Sebastian's legacy is, it's just, you know, I I think everybody might have a little bit, uh, let's just say it's complicated. Like (laughs) like like ChatGPT says,
0: it's super subjective.
1: It's super subjective. There you go. We need to clap or, you know, cue the laugh track at the same uh, time. Okay. Next story here. IndyCar has announced a 17 race schedule for the uh, 2024 NTT IndyCar uh, season, which uh, kicks off Sunday, March 10th at the uh, streets of St. Petersburg. Then uh, two weeks later, it's the Thermal Club Million Dollar Challenge. That's a non-points race. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Then back to racing. You know, we were very critical this year. Well, well And there was a cancellation of the Chinese Grand and they just weren't able to to backfill that. But uh, after that, uh, the the, the million-dollar challenge at the Thermal Club there on March uh, 24th, they didn't have almost an entire month until they hit the streets of uh, Long Beach on uh, April 21st, and then it comes uh, really, really thick and fast. You have uh, Indy goes on Sunday, May 26th, and then the championship winds up all the way at the end of uh, the season, obviously. Uh, that'll be Sunday, September since, uh, 15th mm at uh in nashville so there you go and they're gonna have like two races at the uh, milwaukee mile race one and two two weeks apart you got the portland international raceway in there toronto that the, the the middle or tail end of uh july a couple of races there middle of july as well on saturday and sunday july 13th and 14th at the uh, iowa speed uh, so sorry uh, Iowa speedway mid ohio and laguna Seca. you know the, the corkscrew there is always a classic road america streets of detroit and and uh, a lot of good stuff uh, coming up. So they're also going to, uh, r- on the uh, the 11th of uh, May, which is Saturday, they're going to race on the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course before they get into all the qualifying in Indy itself. So very, very uh, exciting. Okay, so Mark, I'll let you take the next one because uh, there's a tie-in to Indy and that's the ongoing story or saga or epic or question mark, whatever you want to it's call it. It's all of those We're things daily. You all of those things, perfect. right? It's
0: uh, this <laughs> ongoing saga. And I had predicted a couple of weeks ago that the FIA would come forward with their recommendations about a new team in September. That didn't happen. And I kind of assumed it would have happened this week. Cause we had this two week gap between, between the Japanese grand prix and hitting to Qatar and Doha and things like that. But ultimately the, the ongoing speculation and the reporting is that the FIA has chosen to, um, Uh, reject three potential applications and speculation because the FIA never formally announced how many teams had submitted uh, an expression of interest, but the understanding was there was four. Um, And ultimately it's now reported that three have been rejected and Widely, the speculation is that Andretti, Cadillac, um, the combined forces of the two are going to get the nod. And of course, at that point, it'll be up to the FOM to either in themselves reject this or negotiate. Uh, But it sounds like this is this is going to happen not this week and you and i had talked about we were going to do an emergency podcast but maybe at some point in the very very near future Uh, a couple of things that i thought were pretty interesting about this is uh one lucky sons which is that asian-based team or aspiring asian-based team who had made a bid that was allegedly rejected um they had announced that they had funding in place to negotiate an anti-dilution or an expansion fee of 600 million dollars which i thought was really interesting and despite that uh they weren't granted uh the rights to to negotiate with the FOM on a placement Uh, but ultimately I think we're we're getting closer um this article that we're kind of speaking to here on carscoops.com I've never heard of them before but this is a pretty pretty decent article by Sam D. Smith um really talks about the value of this partnership and I think I at least have really downplayed the involvement of GM and in fact I think I've been super negative about it because Andretti came forward and they announced hey we want to be on the F1 grid. And you and I have talked so much about how Michael Andretti just stormed into the paddock in Miami and went door to door at the hospitality trailers with a sheet of paper demanding that team principal sign their name to commit to supporting his bid, which was total BS. Uh, but ultimately I think one of the rejections was, Hey, what are you bringing to F1? And earlier this year, I think in January, February, uh, they announced a partnership with, with GM, that GM was going to be, uh, a manufacturer backing via their Cadillac brand. And of course Cadillac's a strong brand in North America that has growing reach globally. And I think they thought that was going to be sufficient. You and I dissected this very quickly and we realized that based on on the timelines that andretti hopes to achieve to get to the sport 25 or 26 that realistically cadillac had no time to develop a power unit and as we dug a little bit deeper it became clear that ultimately andretti's vision is to use a Renault power unit and badge it as a cadillac power unit so cadillac gm's uh kind of, I would say, contributions to the car would probably be more technical, although I don't know what that would look like unless it's chassis, um, unless it's the the monocoque or something like that. But what we're learning more and more now, and GM is starting to open up to this idea is that, look, we want to be involved from the jump, but given the timelines, we just don't have the resources or the technical expertise to develop a Formula One engine. And Furthermore, we're not willing to start developing one at this time, unless we have the commitment to join the grid, right? Like if your GM why are you going to start spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing an F1 power unit if you don't have a car to put it in? So I think what we're learning now is that, hey, that Renault power unit would ultimately be a short-term fit. And that if Andretti's given that spot on the grid, Cadillac would sign up to developing their own power unit. And that would probably be ready by 27, 28, 29. So you know, while it was Very uncool conceptually, this idea that GM was just going to rebadge a rental power unit. I think as we unpack this, that's a short term. Uh, requirement to get the car on the grid and get them competing, um, while Cadillac then has the timelines to build an F1 power unit. So again, nothing revolutionary here, nothing that we haven't spoken about before. But uh, as the days go by, like sooner or later, there's going to be an announcement that the the FIA is going to approve or recommend this bid, um, and then it's going to be up to the FOM. And that is when the fireworks are going to start to fly.
1: Yeah, that's going to be very interesting, and I think I already know the answer to to this one. But is there any sort of tie in between Renault and GM at the corporate level? I don't think so, right? That's
0: that's the weird thing, right? Like, and you and I have talked about this in the past that the relationship between global automotive OEMs is pretty incestuous. Like, it feels like in history they've all owned a piece of each other at some point, and even if they didn't, there's all sorts of collaborations. Like, you can talk right now about the fact that Toyota is sharing a platform with Subaru in the. BRZ and the Toyota 86. like They share a chassis and some badge engineering going on there. But then Toyota does the exact same thing with BMW, that BMW is basically building a car that Toyota rebadges as a Supra. But again, if anyone knows, I don't think that there's any kind of collaborative partnerships between the Renault and the GM group today. That said, uh, if you don't know, GM had, since World War II, had a very strong presence in Europe, particularly through the Vauxhall and the Opel brands, which were wholly owned GM subsidiaries. Uh, They were largely autonomous from the U.S. operations, but in the last decade, GMs almost entirely got out of Europe, and they focused on North America, Central and South America, and China uh, through the Buick brand is a big, big market for them as well. But I don't believe Mm. they have any relationship to Renault Today.
1: Interesting. So we'll, we'll wait and see. And it's funny too that uh, Mohammed bin Sulaym has become very, very quiet uh, on the topic, but. Uh be interested to to see you know when this is because we've been talking about doing this emergency pod now it seems like little bits kind of like uncorroborated unsubstantiated little nuggets kind of pop up here there it's just like it feels like this is the day for the emergency oh wait here we go this is the day for the emergency oh no here we go this is no and it kind of goes back and forth and we're just like dude we can't do the show because it just becomes wild uh, you know an idle speculation so I wonder how long it's going to take but it's, it's interesting to you know perhaps they won't you know open up too much on it but it would be nice to know like because there was what like three potential bidders was it four in the end there, there were several that were involved in, in addition to Andretti which always seems like the I wouldn't say a slam dunk but seemed to be the strongest of all of it it'd just be kind of interesting if they could kind of crack that open it's like where did Andretti should they get that uh, that birth where did what did they do differently what made them that much more attractive was it just the whole gm partnership was it like everything and like how bad or how deficient were the other ones uh, just be totally. like okay like what do you what do you bring to formula 1 is like well, like nothing. Okay. See ya. So I don't
0: know. It'd be kind of cool
1: to find that. I totally out. agree. I totally agree. Me.
0: I think I think we can speculate a little bit on that. I think if you look at these other teams, they were very aspirational. And it was like, Hey, if you give us a, a slot on the grid, this is these are the things we're gonna do. And I think in the Andretti case, it's like hey, here's the infrastructure we already have. Here's the potential partnership with Renault that we've already agreed to, that theirs was far less aspirational and far more concrete, that there there was a foundation to it, right? And then of course, Andretti also has this pedigree of racing and expertise that they can lean into and and relationships with existing suppliers. But I I would be equally as fascinated. Like I'd love to see the report card for each one of those bid, like what they did well (laughs) and what they didn't do well. Well, what did
1: Andretti uh, just? They they just changed their name recently, didn't they? Like Andretti Motorsports is now what, like Andretti Global Motorsports or something, something like that. Isn't
0: yeah. It? So we, we we reported this a couple of weeks ago, and by report I mean we yeah. read off somebody else's report. But uh, according to BeyondTheFlag.com, Andretti Autosport plan to rebrand and operate as Andretti Global beginning in the 2024 IndyCar season. The team announced Andretti Auto or Autosport continue to make waves at the IndyCar sales season blah, 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 blah. But yeah, Andretti Autosport to yeah. become Andretti Global starting in 2024.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, the next story, and this is this is one I think uh, you know, kind of resonates a little bit more with uh, you and I, but uh, well, I, I'm sure a lot of our audience yeah. uh, too. But um, this is a story, and it's a, it's a translation of an article that uh, of an interview that uh, Sergio Perez did with the uh, De Limburger, which is a, a, a newspaper in the Netherlands. And apparently, he decided to hire a mental coach uh, this summer. So the uh, the article that we have the uh, the translation of, um, and I'll read the entire thing because uh, you know just to give a lot of context to it. So uh, check goes on to say quote after Miami's things started to get worse for me I felt like I was driving another car that didn't suit me so well subsequently it was not possible to get into Q3 a number of times which shattered my confidence this also made driving a lot more difficult I had a lot of trouble with it in the summer at the beginning I was up there and competing but it changed it all changed onwards I was driving without any confidence at certain points I couldn't figure it out anymore That was very tough. You drive for a top team. The pressure to perform increases rapidly. My confidence came back when I realized that I won races on my own earlier this year. I dare say uh, that I am now 100% again. And I'm convinced, uh, uh, again convinced that I can take a shot at the world title next year. Formula One is my sport, my life, my passion. But when you're having such a hard time at work, it's difficult to be cheerful at home with your wife and children. That's why I hired a mental coach uh, because my family deserves to have that cheerful father at home. Together with my coach, I started working on becoming the best version of myself at home, but also as a driver. I decided not to give up. In the meantime, I also continue to work hard with the engineers to resolve at least some issues. As a result, I'm looking to find positivity again. I am now 33 years old, but I am still learning every day on the track, but also certainly also outside it. Partly because of this, I will never get enough Formula One. It is truly amazing what this sport still gives me. I'm grateful to Red Bull for giving me the opportunity to play for a top team. After all, I am a driver who did not come from their own training path. Uh, It would be great if I could end my career here, but being a driver for them uh, for this team is not easy. Red Bull Racing operates in a different way than most teams, but that is also why they are also so successful, in my opinion. Their car is built from a different approach from the uh, other teams. It needs time, and you must get used to that. And, of course, you have to deal with Max Verstappen as a teammate. The past has uh, proven this task that pressure i sometimes call it the toughest track in formula one end quote so it's kind of interesting in there like uh, that was just uh, to me that looks like a google translate but uh, i I think it kind of captures the uh, the the essence of it and this hasn't been an easy year for for sergio Perez. I, i i kind of feel maybe this is just me reading between the lines that I, I feel like he's putting a very positive twist on it. He says he's trying to find positivity with the, with the, his mental health coach and everything. But I get the feeling that he must have been in a really, really dark place at one point, where you know he had to reach out to, to, to somebody else on the outside to you know help focus, uh, bring him back. And the, the fact that he opens up and says he wasn't really the best version of his, himself when he was at home with the wife and the kids and all that that stuff. And when it affects like your family life like that, you know, it, it must be pretty tough. And I mean, and he's not the first person to talk about this. I mean, one of the reasons that um, that Nico Rosberg said that uh, he retired, and I remember this because this came like pretty quick on the, the news of his uh, retirement, was that he just wasn't prepared to go through another season defending his world championship, going up against Lewis Hamilton in the mental battle and everything that goes into it. It was just uh, so much. It's just like, you know what? I've been in the sport for a while. I, I got my chip. I'm in a good place. Let let's just you know let, let's just call it a day and, and move on. But I th- I think that uh, that article is pretty
0: revealing. What do, what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I I really do agree with you, my friend. And I, I I thought a lot about this because you know over the years people have commented on the fact that Red Bull is. A relatively toxic environment to be a driver that isn't also simultaneously a, a world champion like a Sebastian Vettel or a Max Verstappen. And, and we don't know what's happening. And again, when you're a Formula One driver and you sign up to be a Formula One driver with a world championship contending team, obviously, I think you do so knowing that the, the pressures um, are going to be crushing. Um, the media, social media, the fans, people in the stands, the analysts, the pundits, the fans—like the pressure is just unrelenting. I just, I think that it's unnecessarily compounded at Red Bull because of the things that certain people within that organization say in public. That look, you know, what we all know what's happening with Sergio Perez. He knows, the team knows, his family knows, the fans know, and just the fact that you have somebody like a consultant and kind of the the driver. Kind of development chief or whatever you want to call helmet marco like constantly and and publicly commenting on on his performance, I think is is challenging like it's it's one thing my friend like imagine this scenario and I'm trying to contextualize this for people at home like you know what if you're struggling at work, ideally, Your boss pulls you into the office and just checks in, man. How are things going? How's things with the family? Look, you know what? I've observed some things and you can talk through it. You get some feedback um, and you can walk away. I just... I don't know that that's how it operates at Red Bull. That it's like it would be like my boss going on Twitter and come and my boss would never do this because he's amazing. But it's like it would be like my boss going on Twitter and commenting that, "Hey, look, you know what? Hamilton's got a British passport, and British people don't have the same work ethic as North America." Like, like imagine that. That is, and maybe that's an extreme like analogy, but like that's kind of the environment that Sergio Perez lives in. And 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 all that said, like I assume. That behind closed doors, the conversations with people like Christian Horner are cordial and professional and tactical and strategic. But based on what we see in public, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. And then just the fact that Helmut Marko can make these comments without any consequence is is pretty is pretty telling about maybe what's going on there. Um, but again, all of that said, you know what? I I totally sympathize with with Sergio Perez, but what I think we're seeing at Red Bull now is no different than what happened to Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon and Daniel Kvyat. And, and like there's a long pattern of this with this team that on the one hand, I totally sympathize with him, but he also committed to that. You know what I mean? And, and maybe it's because again, you're an F1 driver and you need to commit to the best car possible. um, But ultimately maybe he should have known, but having said that that doesn't excuse obviously anything that helmet Marco and things and and such have done, but yeah, it's it's a tough situation. And if you have mental health conditions, I don't know that he does. Certainly, they would be compounded in, in a moment in a situation like that. So tough for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, and and at one point in the past, I was in a position in a job that I had at the time where I felt like I was constantly. You know, like on the verge of like losing my job or, or just getting reprimanded all the time, it puts you in a really, ro- really horrible place. You know, it's just like—I I mean, it, it's difficult enough as it is getting up and going to to, to work every day and the challenges. I mean, you know, not—you know—I mean, you and I are lucky because we love what we do for work. We enjoy getting up and doing it. And you're nodding politely there, Mark. No, no, you know, no, it's, no, no, it's, it's no, no, okay. <laughs> no, I I
0: love.
1: I love what I do. I no, love I'm what joking. I do. Yeah, um, yeah. I know. I, I'm just uh, poking fun. But you know, when, when you get into a situation because a lot of people aren't there and 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 then when you get into situations especially with you know quote-unquote normal people like ourselves where you know you're not raking in millions of dollars and you've got all the different you know pressures especially in this you know crazy environment that we live in with like you know massive inflation and high cost of living etc so i mean you know that's that's what we face but sergio he does he faces a lot of pressure on a different front. So, I mean, it's all like a little bit of perspective, but whatever it is, it's, it's not a good place for a person to be. We're just not designed as people, I think to really have to try and absorb that kind of pressure. And you you can see why that, uh, you know, there, there's so many you know, people suffer from mental illness that um, I, I forget the exact, uh, you know, when it comes, there's a couple of terms, I'm just trying to think of what they are like, um, you know, there's different types of like depression and anxiety that can be brought on like stress and, and stuff like that. And, you know, these are things that you and I are both very, you know, you know passionate about because you know depression and anxiety is something that I've dealt with in the past and you know it's 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 not fun it is it's a really really tough place to be so I, I hope that Sergio is in a better place uh, you know, like I say, I feel just kind of like reading between the lines that he's really putting a positive spin on it. I mean, it looked like, you know, we were starting to see him come back again. But, you know, he had a pretty massive setback last weekend. And I think a lot of people are just waiting for, you know, Red Bull to come along and say, oh, we're giving the the seat in 24 to uh, or in 2025 to Danny Ricardo or Yuki Sonoda or you know fill in the blank. Right. I think it almost... To me, I almost feel like it's a bygone conclusion that he's gonna be replaced, right? And you know, that that can't be fun for him either.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree, man. And like obviously he's under contract through twenty-four, but as you stated earlier, like F1 contracts really are pretty valueless to be to be totally blunt. I just and I, I like your point about the fact too that look, you know what, suffering from you know, mental health conditions or suffering from depression or suffering from anxiety um, isn't uncommon. But I think oftentimes the symptoms and the experience is heightened by your your experience at work. And I think you make that great point about, mm-hmm. hey, look, you know, I was in a work environment once where I felt like I was constantly being reprimanded and I was always going to be fired. And I think sometimes that's a byproduct of just shit I was going to swear, but just terrible leadership, right? That, you know what, if you're struggling mm-hmm. at work, you know what? You know what, your your leader needs to pull you aside and have a conversation and be honest and, and tactile and like, hey, here's the things you're doing well, here's where you're struggling, let's work on these things. Is there anything going on at home? Is there anything I can help you with? And have those honest conversations. But when all you get is the reprimand and and there's no coaching, there's no development, there's no instruction, there's no learning, then you, yeah, your your mental health deteriorates rapidly because you you you're not hearing the good stuff and, and you don't see a way out of it. And I think for for sergio like that's kind of his scenario his experience right now which is you have helmet marco who is publicly publicly challenging him and demeaning him um, in front of an audience of millions of people and then it becomes an echo chamber because everyone starts repeating mm-hmm. those things and he can't go on social media because he's going to see it. his friends are hearing it, his family's hearing it, his kids are hearing it and it's hard to escape from and again you know those conversations can happen but they happen in behind closed doors that you can't have those things in in public and again it's all juicy because it gives us something to talk about and it gets aggregated and it gets retweeted but in terms of running a professional racing organization there's no place for that
1: yeah totally agree so I hope, uh, like I say, he's in a, in a, in a good place. So next story, I want to talk about uh, Jessica Hawkins, the uh, Aston Martin uh, ambassador, former guest on this show, uh, became uh, this past weekend, uh, the first woman to drive a formula one car in, uh, in, in five years. Hasn't been done since, uh, 2018. And Jessica and F- Felipe Drugovic got behind the, uh, the wheel of an AMR 21, put a bunch of laps in. So that's a very, very exciting deal. I still have a bone to pick with Jessica because, uh, she was a stunt driver for the latest James Bond movie. And I I tried to pry it out of her like some sort of kind of like anything. And, you know, she just couldn't do it, wasn't able to. And, of course, don't want any spoilers and things like that when you're under an NDA and I got a big motion picture. But what a very, very cool uh, opportunity um, uh, for for her. I think we're actually going to do some F1 Academy update a little bit uh, later in in the show. Um, Okay, so the next one here is... um, this third car rule breach for Williams, what's going on with this one? Because I'm not quite, I don't know, maybe it's a, because it's been a busy day. Maybe, you know, I just haven't had enough coffee, Mark, but I'm not quite able to get my mind around this one. Oh, what, what's daily. Going on I was here?
0: hoping you were going to take this one. So let me take a stab at this. So okay. if you've read books like Mark Priestley's *The Mechanic*, you know that yep. through much of F one's history, it wasn't unusual to have a third car in the garage, um, and they would call it a T car. And that T car would actually have its own cluster of mechanics. And some teams might even have a fourth car. And the intent was that hey, look, if your car as a driver, um, if your car sputtered out in, in qualifying or practice or even on the way to the the starting grid you could run back to the pits and jump in the t-car um, and that t-car would be ready it would be fueled and you could go and compete and in 2007 2008 um, as a means of cutting costs during the midst of the global economic crisis, the T car concept was scrapped. So there could be no more T cars, there was no more third cars. But what teams are allowed to do is bring a monocoque, a chassis, an extra chassis to the track, because you know what, more often than not, when you crash a car, no matter how bad it looks, those mechanics can work their magic. They'll replace the floor, they'll replace the wings, they'll replace the side pods, the wheels, the suspension, the brakes. They can replace all of that. But if the monocoque, the chassis, if that is structurally damaged, is done, it's a write-off. That No matter how much people say it can be repaired from a structural integrity piece, it's gone. So when Alex Albon, not Alex Albon, when Logan Sargent had his major, major crash on the weekend, I think that, What Williams discovered was that, hey, this car isn't salvageable, right? That there might be some individual components, uh, but the car itself is basically a write-off. So they had in the back of a lorry, all the teams bring an additional monocoque. They brought out the actual chassis and they started building up the car. Now, for reasons that I've yet to really understand. Um, FI officials weren't necessarily satisfied with the timing of the work that Williams had conducted on the car. Um, And I'm going to quote here from the race.com. F1 technical delegate Joe Bauer felt that two hours after qualifying officially ended Williams' built-up spare chassis to more than an assembly comprising a survival shell as defined by the rules and that this has to be considered as a third car available to the competitor and the article continues the regulations around spare chassis are designed to stop teams having a third ready to go car built up and on standby. As a result, the matter was referred to the stewards who shared his view and found Williams had broken the rule that states each competitor may not have more than two cars available at any time during an event. So it sounds like, Hey, they were on side by having the chassis, but they were effectively offside in the timing of the buildup of that car and ultimately because of that it effectively qualified as a third car which put them offside with the rules and as a result they ultimately got the penalty but it, it's it's interesting because one it gives us the opportunity to reflect back on a very different era in formula one and i don't know if you remember this mark but there was a time when michael Schumacher might have had multiple T cars available to him and he would take all of them out during different sessions in free practice one and free practice two and free practice three and would make a final decision on what car he was going to take to the grid almost moments before the race so we talk about F1 and kind of contracting costs and the cost cap and things like that it is remarkable that there was an era where there was a T car available at all times at least one T car and a separate group of of mechanics but ultimately I think in an effort to cut costs the sport had said hey you can't have a t-car but you can have a monocoque but unfortunately based on the timing of the rebuild it effectively did end up qualifying as a t-car so they took a penalty as as a result which i think is super 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 interesting
1: yeah, absolutely. And it leads into uh, another discussion here, too, because despite all the crashes and some of the negative publicity that Logan Sargent uh, is getting, because we talked about it on Sunday after the race, there was that that one really, really sad camera shot during qualifying on Saturday where they, they panned into over to the one of the mechanics in the Williams garage, literally head in hands and looking quite upset about the whole thing, just kind of realizing I'm going to be up for the next 24 hours putting this car back together so he could go racing on, uh, on on, Sunday afternoon. But uh, despite that, uh, Williams actually think that, um, you know, the, in, in spite of the fact that Logan has had uh, some, some issues keeping it on the track and breaking cars like that, they, they believe it. And the, the exact quote is masks, his steady improvement. And then, you know i i just couldn't help you know my reaction when i saw him put it into the barrier at the uh, you know during qualifying on saturday is like that's another one you know it's, it's, how much longer is this guy uh, going to to last so it's it's very very uh, interesting right so before the uh, the race on sunday Wid- williams had a vehicle performance a fellow by the name of uh, Dave uh, robinson said that uh, he felt that uh, Sergeant's, uh, you know crashes have taken you know it's really taken away from what he's done this year and the fact that he's improving and the the fact that he's getting close to Alex Albon in some lap times. It's Suzuka practice. Anyways, Robson had the the following who say, quote, I guess inevitably they catch the headlines, don't they? Uh, when he was asked uh, about the crashes uh, by Motorsport Magazine, and he goes on to say, quote, I think it has kind of amassed his steady performance, and this weekend was actually going really well. It's such a difficult circuit to come to, and he went about it really well on Friday, built on that on Saturday, and lost in the very last corner of the first lap, and really it was quite a minor mistake. It's just at that corner, once you touch the grass, you're in a whole heap of trouble, and it was a real shame. But yeah, I think it's fair that uh, the crashes since Sanfort have amassed what otherwise has clearly been some steady improvement end quote so we'll just uh, we'll put that one out there and let uh, let it, uh, everybody else uh, make their own call on that I want to talk now about um, about McLaren so uh, there's another article uh, over at motorsport.com uh, by Jonathan no- uh, Noble and uh, Matt Summerfield and uh, they, they go over some of the big changes that McLaren have made with the MCL60 and these concept changes that uh, they believe have really transformed the car and obviously we you know, McLaren have become a real bright spot uh, this season when it, it seems like there's been very, very few topics many times, you know, days and weeks to talk about other than Red Bull. So the areas that uh, that they believe were these, uh, you know, these, these concept changes that have really done wonders for McLaren is uh, an outwash front wing, wider side pods with water slides. So we're making a trip here to Mount Splashmore or something like that. We'll talk about that in a second. A floor edge wing and a beam wing and more beam wing. Uh, efficiency, so all these things combined have made uh, you know quite a bit of a difference uh, for for McLaren. What do you think, Mark? We want to jump in here with the, the the
0: technical side. Yeah, I mean, I don't, know any, I, I don't know if I, if I Qualified out? to, but I, I think Jonathan Noble does a pretty good job of summarizing the the things that we know, right? Like, I, I think one. When a team makes fundamental changes to the floor of the car, which is critical because that's where the vast amount of the downforce is coming from, we really don't get the opportunity to see that. And even if we do, it's really hard to comp that against what the competitors are doing. But what we can comment on are the things that are visible to us. And he does a pretty good job of summarizing some of those things, including the outwash front wing, Um, says Jonathan Noble, McLaren has joined other teams are pursuing a front wing design, which delivers as much outwash effect as possible. This has been achieved through better managing the gaps between the flaps and the end plate as well as the shaping of each aerofoil across the span. Uh, The other one, wider side pods. And this one's really interesting because when we talk about side pods, it's not just about the aerodynamic surfaces. It's about the packaging of the cooling and the hardware that resides underneath it right that you can come to an understanding that hey we can transform our, our side pods we can go with a wider side pod design we can have these really deep uh, kind of funneling water slides but in doing so you need to repackage all of the cooling and all of the mechanicals that kind of lay behind that so it's not simply saying hey we're going to strip off this side pod and put on a new one in doing so you need to be committed because you need to, have to rework everything that lies underneath that now the the design that they have um isn't fundamentally different than what we saw in 2022 that as far back as last year they were trying to borrow heavily from what uh, what Red Bull had been doing um, but says Andrea Stella from McLaren in this article from Jonathan Noble um, it's now very much noticeable how much wider it is referring to the side pod we're trying to create a clear pathway for energizing the air flow um, and then a couple of other things too. return of the floor edge wing so this is something that they trialed a little bit in 2022 abandoned and then gone back to um, and says Jonathan Jonathan Noble, the key to success with the Grand effects cars is the design of the floor because it offers so much downforce when you get it right, which we know um, the key here is that this amplifies that effect. So this is really, really worked for them. Um, and this is something that you can see on the back of the floor edge as you approach the rear wheels. Um, and really for us, it just looks like slots and wings and dividers and different shapes and things like that. But ultimately it helps reinforce the effect of the downforce. And then the other one, and this is something that all of the teams are trying to emulate from red bull and one of the things that people i think gasp at with the rb19 is how effective its drs is that when that drs wing opens the car is gone that the drag that's being reduced is astronomical versus the rest of the field so one of the things that they're trying to do here so when we talk about beam wing efficiency which is what you referred to in a moment ago is how can we capture the essence of what red bull is doing and drs ultimately stands for drag reduction system right that the wings create drag and when you open that slot it reduces the amount of drag, but for whatever reason, the configuration, the styling of the aerodynamics on the rear wing of that Red Bull, when that DRS slot opens, the drag just vanishes in a way that other teams haven't been able to achieve. Um, And it's speculated, and and Jonathan Noble talks about it here, that they've done a lot of work here to emulate what has made the RB19 really successful from a DRS perspective. So those are four things that we can see. We don't really know what's happened with the floor. We don't really know what's happened under those aerodynamic surfaces, Uh, but it's been pretty exceptional. And daily. I was thinking this when I was driving earlier today, that, that ultimately if I'm Mercedes and I'm looking at McLaren and the strides that they're making with the resources that they have versus the resources that we have, one should be pretty encouraging for you that, hey, this team is being so successful with our power unit. And again, when you're a customer team and you buy a power unit, you cannot modify it like you cannot open it you cannot you cannot tamper with it that you have to take it as it comes so one it must be pretty inspiring to know that hey a team is being this successful with our power unit but on the other hand it must be pretty dis- kind of dispiriting is that a word i don't know um it must be a little bit depressing to know that hey this customer team is effectively making these strides and that if you were to amplify the red bull the kind of the the ass or the uh, mclaren experience from from Austria, Silverstone uh, to the beginning of the season, they would be significantly ahead of of where Mercedes is. So, so very, very interesting. Uh, very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it is interesting to, to to think about just like the, the the gains that they've made and just how good that Red Bull is. I mean, we know it's an absolute monster. I mean, the the, the entire package, the car, the the power unit, it's it's absolutely amazing. But I, I would be interested to hear, and I'm sure we'll find this out at some point. Like, what is the the, the gain that uh, that the McLaren have or that they they've made over the course of the season to where they were at uh, you know the the first couple of races? I mean they were not like just towards the back. They were literally the back of the pack there. They were just so slow and uncompetitive. So to, to get where they are now is it's, it's absolutely mind blowing, especially in this day and age, because the cost cap, you know, you're, I don't know, you just don't really expect to, to see something like this. And they've made monstrous gains to get uh, from from where they were at, uh, you know, race one, two, and three to where we are now at like race, what, 17, 16, 15, whatever it is. It's uh, it's almost unheard of. And then it kind of like makes me think, I look like, Mercedes, what are you guys doing? Ferrari, what are you guys doing? So it's like if McLaren can do this in season and, and close the gap uh, to to the front there as much as they have, it's, it's absolutely astonishing. I completely agree.
0: Completely agree,
1: my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what, Mark? It is that time. We're going to move away from Formula One. We're going to get to something else. So you'll know, take it away is return to MotoGP Corner, my Moto friend. MotoGP
0: Corner, and it's been a while since I've given a bit of a championship update, but the championship progresses. And I think a couple of the big takeaways for me so far this year is one that, obviously, if you've been listening to the show, Ducati, the Italian manufacturer, has been absolutely dominating the championship and for much of their history in in MotoGP, they'd always been this i don't want to say an afterthought but they'd always been a disappointment that their their road bikes have such presence and and such glamour that it just never seemed to translate into success on the MotoGP circuit but that's changed honda has fallen away which we've talked to at length and yamaha has fallen away and we've talked to at length and obviously this championship is is a Ducati kind of landslide but I think one of the things that I find really interesting is that there was a brand new team on the grid last year effectively a Ducati customer team uh, but the Italian based Mooney VR46 racing team last year joined the grid this is the MotoGP team that is owned by Valentino Rossi it joined the grid last year finished 8th in the championship which is pretty respectable for a brand new team what is incredible is that so far this championship, and I think we have seven races left: Japan, um, Indonesia, Australia, Thailand, Malaysia, Qatar, and Valencia. That this team, second, is second year in the MotoGP championship, is setting second in the team championship, which is crazy. So right now, Prima Pramac Racing, which is the factory ducati team is sitting first on 436 points mooney vr46 racing team effectively the freshman sophomore i always forget how americans speak about high school freshman sophomore junior senior but the sophomore MotoGP gp team is sic- sitting second in the championship on 383 points with the same riders that they had last year which is pretty remarkable so that's pretty cool but a quick update from a rider's perspective uh, a couple of cool things happening here one the championship still is relatively wide open you know right now sitting on number one or sitting in the number one spot uh francesco bagnaya the ducati rider for a ducati lenovo team he's currently sitting on 292 points jorge martin the spanish rider also riding a ducati but for prima Pramic racing he sits on 279 points uh marco bazecchi the italian rider with Mooney vr46 racing team valentino's team He's currently sitting in third on 248 points. So, with seven races left, the championship is wide open, which is amazing. And that's mostly based on the fact that unfortunately, Bagnaya had a retirement uh, in Indonesia recently, or so not Indonesia, in India, of course, the first annual Indian MotoGP race, which is pretty cool. have um, retired, so that kind of blew the championship wide open. Um, of course, this was also, this last weekend, the first time that we've been in India, and there was a lot of speculation that maybe this race wasn't going to happen. A lot of riders, media, team personnel had trouble even getting visas to get into the country. There was speculation that the race was going to be very, very unsafe. Ultimately, it went off largely without a hitch once everyone was able to get into the country and get a hotel room. Uh, Marco Bazzetti finished first, Jorge Martin finished second, and in and a surprise, uh, Fabio Cortorero, the Yamaha rider, finished third, which I think is his second podium of the year. He currently sits on 105 points. So, some pretty cool news there. The other thing, and this is actually a story that I thought about putting in the outline, is that uh, there's some news this week, some speculation, some rumors surfacing that. Indian race promoters have been negotiating with Liberty on a return of the Indian Grand Prix to the formula one calendar. And of course, a decade ago, uh, they joined the calendar and they dropped off pretty quickly. MotoGP has now returned or has arrived in India for the first time using the exact same circuit. But now there's this growing speculation that possibly formula one is going to go there. Of course, formula one's going to have a 24 race calendar next year. And I just, I don't know how they're going to fit on any more races because of course, China's coming back. Um, I'm going to pivot now, my friend, to a little bit of F1 Academy before we wrap this one up for the night. But if you've forgotten, I think a lot of us have because it's been so long since we've had an F1 Academy race, but F1 Academy is coming back. Of course, F1 Academy season, their inaugural season is going to conclude in a couple of weeks in Austin. So their final race weekend will also be the race weekend of the US Grand Prix at Austin at the Circuit of the Americas. So maybe a couple couple of quick refreshers here that if you've forgotten and I wouldn't blame you if you have because it's been a while since we've had a race the Spanish driver Marta Garcia is currently sitting in first on 235 points Lena Bueller, the Swiss driver is sitting in second on 187 points and Hamda friend of the show Hamda Alcobesi the Emirati driver is sitting third on 179 points now remember uh, Each race weekend has three races. They have a 30-minute race, a 20-minute reverse grid race, and then a 30-minute race. The first and third races are worth 25 points to the race winner, and the second race is worth 10 points to the race winner. So all of that to say, this championship, well kind of over because mathematically it's going to be really difficult for Bueller to catch Garcia um, isn't officially over so that championship is yet to be decided uh, which is really really interesting um, and then from a team perspective MP Motorsports sits on 372 points and Prema who seems to be involved in every open wheel racing championship in the world is currently sitting in second on 349 points uh, another real quick comment as well you talked about friend of the show Jessica Hawkins who's been on the show before Man, we We've built up uh, not this year so much, but in the past, we've had a lot of really great guests. Um, She's actually going to be joining Tim Haraney, friend of the show, on his podcast this week. And he's going to be asking her about her experience testing with the F1 team. So if you love Tim Haraney, and we all do, make sure you tune in to check that out. And then one final news story of the day is that the W Series, and I I think we'd all kind of assume that the W Series had faded into the oblivion, faded into the night. Of course, it had competed in 2019, 2021 and 2022, or at least part of 2022 before their funding fell through. According to planetf1.com's Henry Valentine, the W Series officially put up for sale with a quote unquote exciting opportunity to get back racing again. He writes, W Series and its assets has now officially been put up for sale by its joint administrators in the hope of the all female series being able to go racing again. And of course, I think you and I kind of spoke at length last year about how disappointed we were that neither the FIA nor Formula One were willing to front the capital, keep that championship alive and invest in it. But I think clearly the reason was that they had, especially F1, they had blueprints to roll out F1 Academy for this year. And, and knowing the success that F1 Academy has had this year, especially in growing an audience, despite the fact that it's been almost impossible to watch the races live. I think that's where their motivation is. And I think if somebody wants to take a chance and invest in the W series, that's great. Um, but I think that it would be an awfully, awfully big challenge to go up now against the F1 backed F1 Academy. So, my friend, that's all I got on MotoGP Corner and F1 Academy compound for
1: this week. There you go. I've run out of jingles <laughs> to play. So well, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. So uh, thank you, uh, everybody, for for tuning in this week. Thank you uh, for, for downloading and listening to the show. If you want to get in touch, send us a message on X. Uh, you can find us there at ScooterF1Pod at uh, gmail.com. Or sorry, at ScooterF1Pod on uh, X. Email us at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, head on over to Spotify or Apple or wherever you you're uh, listen to your podcast, leave us a five-star rating review share it with a fan friend we would really really uh, appreciate that and it's been a long day for both myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton so we're going to leave it there thank you everybody take care we'll be back again very very soon bye for now